but at some point, our parents won't be there to soften the cushion. Our parents won't be there for a little bit of that advice. So I'm gonna make it hard so that we can see you perform without calling mommy and daddy. I'm gonna see you perform while they're not around and you're gonna be challenged. I'm not gonna degrade you. I'm not gonna abuse you, but you're gonna be challenged to where hopefully you can go to the next space and then you can you can win yourself off of, you know what, I think I got it. I've learned some things. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Basketball Strong Podcast. I'm Tim DeFrancesco, former LA Lakers strength and conditioning coach and doctor of physical therapy, and I'm here with my co-host, Emmy-nominated writer and author, Phil White. This podcast is not just for basketball junkies. It's for anyone who loves to hear the human stories behind great people while learning the science behind preparing your body for the court and high performance. Today's guest is Coach John Mosley, head coach at East LA College and one of the stars of the raw and riveting Netflix series, Last Chance You. Coach Mosley went from having to be pulled out of the mud of drive-by shootings and gang life as a high schooler in L.A. to finding his way to his first head coaching job at ELAC, East L.A. College. As Coach Mosley tells us, he thought he'd only be at ELAC for a year or two, and now he's 11 years deep and has built a powerhouse of a program. When Netflix came calling and asked he and his team to be the subjects of the acclaimed series Last Chance You, he almost turned them down. But his pastor, thankfully for us, of all people, his pastor convinced him to say yes, and he let the cameras in. In this episode, Coach Mosley shares what shaped him, what drives him, and why he keeps going in his life of mentoring, serving, leading, and coaching. Let's get into the conversation. Coach, I'm going to go a little bit out of order here. And I want to, in a bit, get to having you tell us a little bit about your, a lot about your childhood, because... I have a sense that your your childhood is is really one of the things that lends to the your superpower to relate at a deeper level with your players, and I, I, I want to get into that. But um, it, you know, you, you thought, and I've heard you talk about you you thought you would be at ELAC East LA College for a year and then get a D one job and go on and, and just keep climbing the ladder, right? Um, but eleven years later, you're there. Tell us why. Yeah, it was supposed to be a quick stop, man. I mean, I'm in, in between Division One jobs and thought that that's where I was supposed to be. But, um, you know, and essentially they said, you'll never get hired here. These are hard jobs to get hired at in terms of full-time faculty. So, um, but I'm here and initially they were saying, hey, just come here, just come do your service, have some, you know, help the young man out. And I was like, hey, I'm between jobs. I'll do it just so that I don't miss a year of coaching. And I get a chance to be a head coach, which was my first time being a head coach. So um, I'm going into this thing. They're like, hey, just give the kids a good experience and we'll be fine. I'm like, no, I heard that before, man. We're going to try to win. And we came out right (laughs) away. And uh, I think we set tons of records. First year in like 15 years, we made the playoffs. First playoff win ever in the school's history. Uh, and you know, and just many first time ranked in the top, we were like in the top, we're number six in the state at one point. Um, but I just was like, no, I'm, I don't believe that, man. And you know, and even more so in today's society and how basketball goes, 
uh, if you don't win, if you don't have success, then, you know, you're out the door. And that's just the way the market is. It has nothing to do with being cruel or unusual, cruel or usual punishment. That's just the way it is. If you don't win, you lose. So I said, even though this is part time, I was making pennies. I was like, I'm still I'm still trying to win. And uh, we won. We had some success, a few things. And, and I'm sticking around and a few things on campus pop open. I get some other part time gigs on campus and uh, did a male leadership academy. And that brought in some income. And then ultimately some things happened where it was interesting. Uh, they had an accreditation team and they were looking to hire African-Americans. They said, we got to hire and everything goes fast. You know, they got to meet a, a certain standard. Right. You got to hire African-American. Well, Mosley's doing a good job with these African-American men group on our campus. Uh, he's uh, two professors, one retired and one passed away in our department. And, you know, that's just how God works. Everything just fell into place, man. It, it was kind of magical. And this is where I'm supposed to be. So I'm like, OK, still do it for a couple of years. And I think I just realized, you know what, I'm here home with family and it's a decent salary now because I'm faculty. So I'll just ride this out. And then all of a sudden, man, things just start piling on more su success from the players. We got a lot more attention, getting more popular. Then all of a sudden Netflix come and it's like, uh, I'm not doing that. But then we do it. And then ultimately this, um, you know, these seeds have been planted and, and just a lot have come come out of that. So hold, I'm, I'm hold on. That, I love it. I mean, hold on, though. You, when Netflix came calling, you said no thanks at first. Oh yeah, I don't no, I'm not doing that. I like I was not doing it. My buddies all go, bro, don't do it, you're gonna get fired. I'm kind of looking at the other shows and I'm like, I cannot perform like those, I can't be like those guys. I'm I'm not gonna really be that way. And I thought that's what needed to be to be entertainment. So I said it probably won't work out. You shouldn't do it. And ironically, my pastor is the one that told me to do it. He said, No, nah, you you should do it. And I'm like, What? You know, uh, of all people. Uh, right. So like all of the, the people who I expected to say, yeah, do it, man, make a lot of money. And, you know, they said no. And then the people who I expect to say, no, just stay humble. You don't need cameras. Continue to do the great work that you're doing without all that. And they're the ones that told me, yeah, go and do it. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> we did it. And, and I literally was in a panic uh, upon agreeing to it. And I got comfortable. And then afterwards, I was in a panic when they said, OK, it's going to come out in a month. I saw the trailer. I was like, what did I just commit to? I said, what's wrong with me, man? I said, the, no. my life. and I share with people, my life was perfect before. My kids are doing great. Everything's going. Hey, my life was perfect. Winning a few basketball games. I'm not going to get fired. I'm enjoying students. I'm enjoying teaching. My kids are growing up. My son and daughters are doing well in sports. Man, this is great. And then this comes along and it's a challenge like, do I do it or don't I do it? And, you know, and then I do it. And now it adds an extra level, an extra challenge to the family, to my faith, to to all of us. And, and uh, you know, it worked out. But I was in a panic right before it came out. I said, oh, my gosh, I was in a in a cold sweat. Like, why did I do this? Like, dude, they're going to pick my life apart. And we know how society is today, man. They will pick it apart. Yes. And you will just be canceled. For waving at somebody and smiling, it's like why right. did you smile? <laughs> you know, or why did you wave like this? You should have waved like this. You know, it's like you're invading my safe space, bro. Like, come on. Yeah. And so I, I, uh, I'm so fortunate. The editors did a great job. They pieced it together well. I was dogmatic with some views, and they did a good job of just chopping it out and putting it together. Man, I, I can't. Uh, you know, it was divine how it was put together, and so I've gotten more good than than bad that's come out of it.
Right, right. But what are the, you, you mentioned though, there's now added challenges. I have to imagine just from the notoriety, but then also there's, there is this challenge of having cameras around like that in a, in a team setting and, and making sure that it's what's sacred is sacred. And yet what they're trying to get on air is what's sacred. Yeah. I, and I think what came across uh, and why I think a lot of people, you know, they, they kind of gravitated to the show and liked the show. I think that's just who we were and who I was. And I thought about it. I said, you know what? I don't think I'm going to do anything. You know, I had some friends that maybe they would do something and they would get themselves fired. And I like, you know what? I, I went into this thing with this, this, uh, the intentions of really kind of ministering to guys and really trying to help them grow as young men and showing them a, a lifestyle that they can, you know, mimic, like yeah. showing them being an example for them. And so I was being an example. I was trying to be, have that lifestyle before. I just thought when the cameras come, I'm going to be, you know, going crazy. But ultimately I thought about it and I said, you know what? We all have a camera on us 24 seven anyway. And me being a man of faith, I have a camera on me. Uh, I feel like I'm being watched. I feel like my, 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 uh, I'm, I'm always had a camera on me, you know, cause I want to set an example and let them know that, you know what, I'm different. Um, I want to let them know that, look, my life has changed. My life is better. These are some of the things I'm doing. And so I've been under a microscope. I felt like before the cameras came, uh, and then ultimately God is watching me. So I feel like I'm, I've, I've been under a microscope. So Got it. It, it really didn't, it really didn't phase me as much. Uh, other than when I went to the restroom, I mean, other than that, I had to, <laughs> well, uh, to get to turn the mic off sometimes. Right, but right. I, I think that's what came off well is the the fact that I just said, you know what, I'm gonna just be me, and yes, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't swear, I don't curse. They're like, well, how did you not curse for the camera? How could you do that? It's like I don't curse. Well, you know, I I truly do pray for my guys. I truly do love on them. I truly everything you saw. I am crazy sometimes i go like this my wife yep. says the gemini in me she says it's because you're a gemini you, your personalities flip one way or the other so, <laughs> I, I don't know that that's that's essentially yeah, a, yeah. The, i mean that's what i love and that is like within minutes of being immersed in that show and seeing episode to episode kind of your you come across that screen it is i, I mean you every you know immediately like this you cannot fake this this is really him and that's what you know that's what makes it um amazing i i there's some things that we're going to now circle back to eventually in this but let's now let's now bounce back to your childhood what is it about your childhood tell us about some of what you went through there and kind of what that upbringing was like and what is it about that that again seems to me like it lends to and it it sort of translates into your superpower one of your superpowers of being able to relate at a very deep level with your players you know what i think it's i i, I was able to get the best of both worlds man I'm, I'm living in the hood in the city uh with you know it's diverse i get to see the bottom of the bottom and to see the bottom of the bottom come out i get uh challenges where my back is against the wall most of the majority of my my young life and I got to fight my way out of some stuff. I'm dealing with, you know, seeing now I don't want to, you know, embellish and say, oh, man, it was guns, bullets going across my face every day. Like, I'm not going to embellish that. But I did see it. You know, I watched a neighbor across the street 
And I was telling the story. I watched the neighbor across the street, the drive-by. They came and shot him sitting on the porch. And I'm literally across the street looking like, oh, man, Junior got shot. And, like, it, it didn't faze me because it was, like, it was it was normal. Um, it, it was still frightening, but it was it was a, it was more normal than not. It would be it would be it wouldn't be normal if it didn't happen. But once a year. But, you know, it's going to happen once a month, whether I can hear the gunshots a ways away or not. You know, so I don't want to over say my hood was just super tough, but it was. But in the same light, I, I had I had good parents. So in, in some cases, there are some that they live in that. And they don't have the, and I'm not, not that they don't have good parents, they just don't have uh, enough support. And I think my parents gave me enough support and I had enough that I was able to overcome it. You know, maybe if I was was with a single parent or something, I don't know. But I was able to overcome it. Not that I didn't get ingrained in it a little bit. I did. I get got caught up. I did some things I shouldn't. And when I share in prison ministries, I say the difference between you and me is you guys got caught and I didn't. Like there's some things that I probably should be and here for we're, we're all the same, you know, but essentially I, I just didn't. And I was able to overcome. And then once I got over the hump in which I'm trying to do with these young men, once you get over and you get to see the rest of the world, you get enlightened at what basketball can do and what the world has to offer. Then you gravitate towards that. But sometimes it's just getting these young men. And, and I think that's what my parents did. They said, okay, get out of the mud. Let's get out. Let's get out. Let's get out. And sometimes these young men don't have enough, support to pull them out they think this is it they got to survive in the mud they got to survive doing this and doing things that way they got to survive being disrespectful or survive with poor response in order to get attention it's like no you don't have to do that and so my parents was able to pull me out and then when i saw the other side i was like oh man this is great i'm traveling i'm seeing the world i see yeah. how other cultures live and like what am i doing and and that's kind of what i see from all the young men i'm like you guys are stuck in that that place i had a young wow. man he didn't want to leave la Last year, I said, man, you need to go to Florida to go. There's a scholarship. And he was like, coach, I want to stay at one of you. I said, man, let me tell you something. You need to leave. And the farthest he ever has gone to Vegas, you know, the Vegas. Right. Out of L.A., that's it. Man, this dude went to Florida and literally lost his mind. You know, not that that's a good thing, but he just was like, coach, I'm, man, I'm loving it. And it was just like, dude. And it was like Miami. I'm like, bro, I told you there's another world. Told uh, you. Out there. Yeah. And, and uh, I think that's what my, my family, uh, what the difference, but yet and still I was able to see everything that they go through right. and I can see why they're stuck. I can see why they respond poorly. Um, I lived through it and I live with them and, and, and uh, I can see it all. And I was just fortunate enough to have uh, a good family and, and even some with good families, they fall by the mm. wayside when they're in that environment. And even some with, just a single mom who's working 24 seven, some of them do better than I do. It, it just, but uh, every to each his own, man, it's, it, it affects different ways. But yeah, that's essentially how I grew up inner city high school. I was fortunate enough to, when I was younger, private school. So I, I got some seeds planted. I went to private school, but then when I went to high school, it was walking down the street, public school, got challenged. I'm looking around, making sure I don't get my Jordan stolen. Uh, which is a part of my testimony. I, I got, I almost got my J Jordans taken from me. I think it was Jordan threes, you know. So no, but yeah, the, not the I, retro I would... ones. The original Jordan threes. They were a hundred and five dollars, and they I... pulled up, and it was a Cutlass or a Rego. I'll never forget. They said, "Hey, where you from?" And I said, "I don't bang, man." It was like, "What size shoe you wear?" And that means you about to take your shoes off, you know, and give them your shoes. And fortunately, I was close to home and. 
one of the, the ladies that live uh, on the block, she said, John, John, are you okay, baby? And then no. they looked, and it was like, they just respected, like, they kind of respected Elder. It's, it's funny how it goes, man. They they respected her, and they just kind of took off because they saw somebody was watching, and I went home, and they kind of shed some tears. I was tired. I was like, man, I'm trying to get out of the hood, you know? Dang. That's, yeah. uh, that's crazy. I, you know, you talk about, um, this, uh, this idea that your parents, you got caught in the mud, you did get in that mud a little bit and, and they, they pulled you out. Can you, can you take us into that? Well, it's just the, the common teenage stuff, man. Like I, I, I was sharing with, uh, some of the issues that Joe Hampton, he kind of went through. It was like, well, you know, similar to some of the, you know, I was trying to do some little, uh, bank fraud stuff so I could put money in my pocket and it was like normal that's what all the kids were doing uh, I can remember being put on by a gang uh, they said man you need to get put on I was getting put on fortunately I saw a, a sign that said basketball tryouts but in my neighborhood so I went to a private school maybe a few miles away from my home so a lot of the kids that went to the private school they were scattered too you know from here and there you usually go to your local school in the area and you know all of those that are around that live on your block and all of them were kind of caught up a little bit. And so when I go to high school, all I know is the guys that stay down the street and around, none of them are really athletes. They just kind of bang. We kind of grew up, you know, in that way. And they started to get a little more hardcore as they got older. But I'm walking to school with them and we all, that's just what I knew. I'm from the hood now. Like, John, we got to put you on. Cause you, you with us now. And so I'm hanging with them and sitting with them. And, and, uh, I never forget. I, uh, and I've shared this all the time. It was a drive-by in front of our school. Boom, boom, boom. And I'm hanging with the guys and they were like, man, we know who it is. Let's go. Everybody starts to run because they're running to go tell, I guess the big OGs, you know, the big homies like, Hey, such and such gang came by and they were shooting. Let's all hop in. And so I'm running like, yeah, let's go. I'm, and then I'm running behind the pack. And I'm looking, I'm like, what the heck am I doing? And literally, they're all running. We literally, it probably would have taken us five minutes to get to the to the area where all the OGs was at, you know. Right. And I just turned the corner and I said, what the hell am I doing? I said, if I hop in one of them cars, and that was the conviction that I've had in me, you know, from, from a young age. And that's, that's what, when you have, you know, uh, good support, you know, I think yeah. that's, that's the fork in the road. Because if you don't have the good support, then you just go and you, even though your conscience feels it, you will go. But my conscience was not only knowing that it was wrong. I was like, man, my daddy going to kill me. You know, I'm thinking about, can I go home after this? Most kids who don't have the support, sometimes they can go home afterward because there's nobody that really, they don't, they don't have the time. I'm not saying that the parents don't care. They just don't have the time to absorb themselves in the kids. Like if I go home, my dad will look at me and is like, okay, something ain't right. Um, you know, something ain't right. And so I did that and I can, I never forget that. And then I saw the, the sign that said basketball tryouts. And then I started to, uh, you know, I tried out and I started to be, uh, you know, with that group a little bit more and hanging out with that group. And it kind of built a separation and all of the, the, young, the, the guys that I was hanging out on my block, they knew, they already knew like, man, John shouldn't be with us anyway. You know, like, Mm. They saw me drift towards the basketball and I always played basketball. My dad was always a, a like an advocate. He took a bunch of the guys on my block and he started the Boy Scouts, the Cub Scouts. So we were doing Cub Scouts and those kids drifted away. So we, you know, he tried to save some of those kids on our block as well. 
And I think that's where some of that 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 mentality comes from. My dad, wow. man, my dad, we you come to my house, my dad, as soon as he sees dudes walking out, hey, what's up? And he popping popcorn. And he did what he did when he was in the army. He said, I used to cut up potatoes. So he would just cut the potatoes up, put a big piece of paper on the floor. Now that I think about it, it's a little country because he's from Mississippi, but he would cut up <laughs> the potatoes, put them in water, and then just cut them up, and then he would just fry them. And we got fried like the big fat potato fries. The and real I'm, deal. Like, thinking, I'm thinking that was normal, and he would do that. And when you look back, I look back and saw how the impact that he had where all of those young men who passed through, I was just like, yeah, whatever. They saw a, a man kind of sharing and helping them and encouraging them and just providing a comfort space. That's really what he did. He provided a, a comfort area where it wasn't, he saw them and he welcomed them like, hey, what's up? What y'all doing? You know, and then he pops some popcorn. And I think back and I'm just like, man. And I think I get a little bit of that from him. I think the second show talked about, you know, Mr. Mosley was a good man. And that's where I got some of, some of that from, and then also because of the conviction of my faith, um, you know, that, that faith conviction, having a compassion for others and having a compassion for young men. Cause the same thing happened with me, you know? Yeah. Man. Coach talk to us a little bit. And I want to dovetail what you just said about your mission. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about first Peter chapter four, verse 10. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, ultimately I, I, I believe our, we're called to, to minister and we call it to serve. And so I've always used that as, as just kind of keeping that in mind. And we've all got these gifts. And I think that's just the gift of discernment that I have to be able to, you know, reach these young men and kind of, uh, you know, see some of the things that they're going through so that I can be able to serve better, you know? And I think that's like, what are we, what are we doing? What are we doing if we're kind of doing everything for, we, we see it all the time with all these those that are rich and we see it all the time with those that that kind of consume a lot, you know, financially. And they built this great wealth. They built, you know, all of these things, but they don't have it in, with, with anybody to share it with. Well, maybe with family. But what are all these accomplishments that Coach Mosley has, like winning games and all that, if these young men aren't impacted and helped and move on? Uh, and so I've, I've gotten over myself to the point where all of the accolades and all that stuff, I'm. It really doesn't matter. It's just a trophy. Uh, but to be able to plant seeds and impact young men, be able to impact people. And then guess what? That moves a lot, lot further than my trophy. Because once I get celebrated, right, that trophy is going to sit on my mantle. And then that's it. That's as far as it goes. But if we, you know, if we celebrating and getting these young men out and moving them on, that trophy goes a lot further. You know, they're, they're and then they're impacting people and if, if they get uh, fed, right? So uh, for me, that's, you know, that's kind of the call and it's it's to serve and, and even more so after going through the show and that being highlighted I really didn't know that that's what I was doing but that's what was happening and so it's just coming out that you know being able to serve and using our gifts to serve is uh is is really uh is really what we call to do and I think everybody should be on the same page I mean what 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 good is it getting rich if we can't share it you know I mean yeah it's good to have it with family but I mean you are you a billionaire. I'm just looking at all the the billionaires and that's good. You, you've done a great job. And I'm, ex, you know, yeah, you deserve to do whatever you want with your finances, with your riches. It's like, hey, I worked hard and you, we know how society is today. There's this war against, you know, socialism. 
and this war against capitalism, like really building for my for myself. And why should we be punished for growing our wealth? Why should we? And then there's this other side where everybody needs to be equal. We need to help the poor and all that. Uh, I don't have a problem with them growing. I don't have a problem with it. But there comes a point where, you know, having so much uh, and being able to share and let others experience uh, and being able to serve others, you know, not just giving, but being able to serve, not just giving and 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 allowing someone to be irresponsible with it. But but serve that goes a long way because my trophy is going to sit there and get dust on it. But if we can push these young men out, then I, I you know, I celebrate. I, I love those trophies a little bit more. Uh, and if, if I'm selfish, if I'm selfish then I'd rather be selfish and say, look, look, look what I did. I got these, I got a hundred young men to division one schools. So if I'm selfish, right. Why would it be like, well, look what I did. I, I won 500 games and thousand games and I'm a hall of fame coach. Like that, that really doesn't, I would rather be selfish and say, look, I got, I got a thousand players to, to college. That, that would make me feel a lot better if I'm self-serving. Yeah. That's so powerful. And you know, what's the, what's the bigger purpose, right. In, in anything that we're doing and, and, uh, and, and you, you not only talk the talk, but then you walk the walk. That's the important part. And, um, you know, coach, I, I'm, I'm always curious if, if, uh, as a, as a listener, any of our listeners of the show from this topic and, and kind of understand the real true environment that the guest is in, in your case, can you, for anybody that doesn't, hasn't paid a ton of attention maybe, or just doesn't understand like where the, uh, where the place of the junior college sits in the, in the basketball world, especially where from, from your, your end, uh, what's the sort of purpose there and, and what that looks like for the typical person that is coming to you and why they're coming to ELAC and, and yeah. what the purpose is there. Well, first of all, it, not any fault. And I'm not, knocking or I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus, but the community college in California, it's called community college, which means it's, it's for the community, uh, which means they're focused on, you know, vocational education and really they don't, it's not like the Midwest sports where the whole town and the whole world revolves around, like you go to Kentucky and if you're not wearing blue, you can, you can get shot for not right. having a Kentucky shirt on. You have a Louisville shirt on in the Kentucky, you're in Lexington, and then you literally can literally get beat up. Uh, so from community colleges here, and I get it, you know, and I've tried to fight. I've tried to ask for more support and just make this more meaningful. And then even after the show, we're like, hey, this is, uh, look at what we've done. Look at what we right. can accomplish. And still it's just like crickets, you know. Yeah, they say, what can we do to help? It's like, man, you know what you can do to help is just – just pay attention. You don't have to give us nothing. Just pay attention. And that'll help in itself. But, you know, our community college is surrounded. It's, 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 it's political. It's, it's vocational, it's education. And so there, there's, that's why the success, at least in California, the community colleges, isn't that great. And it's a handful of us coaches. I'm one of them that said, no, I'm, I'm going to build a program for real. Uh, because most of the instructors out here or most of the coaches are faculty and they no one's going to get fired here in California. At some of the national JUCOs, there's pressure to win and you can get fired. Here, nobody's going to get fired. You know, it's, it's a typical public school system. It's just like, hey, just be good to the kids and, you know, make sure you stay politically correct and you'll be fine. 
but there's like a handful of us that say, no, we're going to compete at the highest level. And we're one of them. I still got the fire, you know, maybe in five years, I might be burnt out fighting against, like, I literally, I think you saw on the first show, our basket was broke. And it was, it's the same again. It's like, it's two inches. And I keep telling them that motor needs to be changed. So like, we've been going a month without it being changed. And <laughs> I can't like, I literally, I would pay for it out of my pocket to get fixed. But if I do that, I can get in trouble because it has to go through contracts. It has to, and it's just a nice, there's so much red tape. It's got to be cleared. It's got to be go to the board before it's approved to get fixed. Oh, and it's just like, man, come on. Well, if anyone's so, listening, if anyone's listening with some serious coin, you yes. send TD and I some money. And we'll pass it on to Coach <laughs> Mosley so Elak can get the darn basket fixed. Get the basket fixed. I'm serious. Like I'm serious, TD. It's like, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Right. But so that's from from my standpoint, yes. what we're going through. And then the young men, uh, you know, that come in, it's diverse, man. You have some with good families, good parents. You have some that have been in, you know, they are division one. And for whatever reason, they left like we see in our portal right now, whether it's they got kicked out or they got put out or they did something wrong or they didn't survive or academically they struggled. They're coming back. So I'm in the market where we're getting the high level players that are in those tough spots so not only am I getting before I was getting kind of you know players that were struggling but I was they were average players and we kind of built to a point where we're getting high level players where once they come here if we kind of tweak them and get them right they're going right back to division one they're going to division one schools and so so it, it, it draws a lot more so you get a high performer with some baggage in some some areas you know there's some that want to come in the situation where they shine more you know, uh, there's some that's that's in a situation where they, they it just didn't work out. They didn't get the minutes. And I said, you know what? I see value. Come here. You can shine more because California isn't as strong in sports except mm. for us collective. And the reason being why, because there's no pressure and it's really not the administration comes. There's some administration, but there's 101 basketball schools. But I, I mean, you could go There's probably one twentieth of them that are that really are saying we want to win we want to win everyone else they don't know what's going on they just everybody's trying to bump and move up and move to politics and all that so uh to be politicians and so there's really not much care in it and it takes us coaches so these young men they come in and they come from all different backgrounds man we have some that uh i mean yeah they've gotten in trouble we have some that weren't ready academically there's some that weren't ready athletically uh, there's so many, there's some that come that are great, great kids, great students. And they just want to be here. I got one young man. I, you know, he, this year he's great young man, great student from orange County. Like parents are, well, he just wants to come here and play because he didn't get that division one offer. And I'm like, yeah, he'll, he'll be fine. He'll get it. Come on over. You know? So it's, it's so many and they come in here and, and then we just kind of put it together and, and then like the first two weeks, next week is our first week of school. So I got it. I'm sitting, I got a young man right here, just walked in here from, from out of town and, and, you know, we'll all get put in, thrown in together and we'll have to figure out where the personalities are and discern who's who. I kind of sit back and learn people. And then I start, I just go at them, man, and get it all uh, to a point where not controlling, but like, you know, conform a little bit so that you can be successful. Um, yeah. But, but um you know, we try not to tolerate anything, any gross, anything that's gross that can harm these young men or get them in, in major trouble. And we talk about that and responsibilities right away um, that they got an opportunity here to move on. We've, we've proven that we can get you out and, 
and and that you can be, be better than you thought you were going to be, and all you got to do is just dial in. But it's a big fight, man. It is a fight because there's some baggage that comes with it, whether it's they, they just don't respond well sometimes. Respond well to criticism because maybe they didn't have a male in their life and they don't know how to take criticism from a male. And they've been taught that sometimes the male is the bad guy, you know, or uh, he doesn't know or whatever. I mean, who knows? Uh, a lot of stuff. Yeah. All kind of stuff, man. A lot of stuff. I don't yeah. have a degree in psychology, but I figured some stuff out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's like for sure. Said, like you said, off camera coach, five, five plus problems times 15 guys, right? I got five. Yeah. Well, until we get our, our team cut, I got 20 guys. And so I get 20 guys texting me um, with this issue, that issue. Some of them get it resolved, but we got five problems for each guy. So you got 20, that's a hundred problems I got to deal with. Right. Got, <laughs> yeah. And, know, and hopefully not they can take, yeah. Some of them I got to hold their hands. Some of them have good parent support. Some of them don't. And then, you know, like I got Shamar that was on the last show. I made him red shirt until he got his, his uh, associate degree. I mean, his high school diploma. So he finally got it. And so I'm dealing with that. You know, like he, all five of uh, Shamar problems. I got to handle all five of them. You know, some of the other guys, the parents have handled three and I'll take care of two on. But Shamar, Man. I got he got 10 problems I got to handle. So that, that adds another. I got 110 problems. Right. right. Yeah. And coach, um, sometimes life life throws us a, a, an extra massive problem that yes. not you or Co coach Ken or, or anyone can handle. It got, it's got to be a God thing. And I think we talked off camera a little bit about how recently I was finishing up season two um my wife is down down in denver picking up our son doing the film program down there and she's doing 110 miles of driving or something today it's just crazy if you want to ruin your car live yes. in the mountains and take your kid down to denver you know back and back forth back forth anyway that aside she come in she said are you all right and i said well kind of i said i've been crying at this episode um she said why are you crying and i said well, you know, explain it to us. So Damani's dad calls and he, he's in this tornado and he's literally saying, this is the person at the insurance company you need to call for, for my life insurance. And then the phone cuts out. Put us yes. in that situation, coach. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of emotions that go on there. And as a coach, you got to just stop. Sometimes if you, you got to be human and the human side, I saw Damani crying like my dad, we we're on the phone and he cuts out. He's telling me his life insurance. I'm putting myself in like I got I'm in three different areas here. Number one, I'm in the in the in the parent mode where I'm like my son's away from me and he's crying because something's going to happen to me. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, Damani, this is a kid. This is my son that's literally crying because he thinks I'm going to, you know, to he thinks something's going to happen to me his rock, his strength, you know, the dads are the, the, the strong ones when we have those, those dads. And then I saw myself as a friend. So Damani's dad, I had a relationship with, he's a former coach and he decided to step away and do that. And I'm like, dude, I, I know him too. And I'm like, dang. So like those emotions come up in me. And then as a, as, as a, as a kid, as a player, I'm thinking like, man, if that happens to my parents and it, so all those emotions came with, all I could do was just stop and, and pray for him and pray for his family, that's there's nothing I can do. You know, we can sit there and I don't care. Any, you can write all the books you want, man. In that situation, you all that, you know, we got all these quick fix 
Band-Aid things, man. The only one that can heal is God. You know, that's the only one who can provide peace. The creator is the only one that can do that. So we got all these little help remedies and these books we write, how to, you know, deal with grief and how to deal with, you know, it helps temporarily, but ultimately the one who created uh, the world and, and, and knows how emotions work and he can, who can give you that peace. That's truly, you know, the source I go to. I was just out of words. There was nothing I could do. I was just, man, I just got to pray for you because I don't know what to say to you. I, mm. I just don't know what to say. But those things happen often. And I mean, young man will come in my office like, coach, my girlfriend's pregnant. I'm just like, dude, you just got to stop. Okay. Let me not. Hey, man, you got to be tough. You, you let me think. Okay. If I got a girl pregnant now, okay. Okay. Man, you're devastated. First, I got to, you got to like help them in that moment of devastation instead of being condemned. You know, I usually try to condemn them before. Like, man, if you having sex, you're going to get somebody pregnant. But then when it happens, I go, okay, let me stop. Let me get in that space with them because they need, they really truly do need to hear some level of, uh, of, of how they're going to get through this. And uh, we'll, we'll have to go to that place. And I think that that's, you know, to be a coach or, you know, you got to be almost a parent in that, in that situation. And in most cases, yeah. the parents, they'll, yeah, they'll say, okay, my, my son, my daughter made a mistake. All right, let's, let me help my son or daughter through this. And, and I think that's the approach that we have to take uh, as not just as parents, but as leaders, uh, even in the corporate sense, even, even basketball, whatever it is. And I think some of the great coaches, when you hear the stories about Bobby Knight, when you hear the stories about Krzyzewski, they're tough, they're hard-nosed, but they talk about the stories about Bobby Knight. And in, in the midst of crisis, Bobby Knight was had showed the most love in the midst of crisis. And I like what Lou Old said uh, from Notre Dame. He says, uh, um, when you deserve uh, love, th those that deserve love the least need it the most, you know? So those that deserve love, uh, love the least need it the most. And so wow. those guys that have issues and drama and are screwing up, those are the ones that need love the most, you know? Yeah. We give the guy who's doing all the jump stops and yes, sir. No, sir. Yeah. We, 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 we give them all the love, but to be honest, the ones that need love the most are the ones that de deserve it the least. My son, he's, you know, he just started college his first year and I'm like, Man, rid of my I'm calling my son and say, hey, Jackson, man, I need you to handle this. Uh, make sure your sisters, you know, you you the man of the house now. Um, it almost brings tears because my dad did me the same way and he passed. And he literally went on vacation with my mom and my aunt uh for the weekend. And you know, the LA vacation is go to Vegas, right? That's the LA vacation. So my, my dad, my mom, and my aunt, they drove in the car, and my dad, they left on Friday. Uh, they left on Thursday or Friday, and my dad, it was just me and my sisters or whatever at the house, and he said, he said, hey, homeboy, take care of the house. And I was like, all right, and they left, and that was the last thing he said to me. He said, take care of the house. And then he came back, and he passed in his sleep in, in the bed at home. Because, you know, they came back late driving in, I think, Sunday night uh, or Saturday night because it was Sunday morning when we woke up and he was, he had passed away in the, in the bed. My mom said, your dad won't wake up. Come, come see what's going on. So that's the last wow. thing he told me. And so those thoughts go through my head as well. When I'm thinking like, you know, your dad is telling your son, like, Hey, I need you to, I need you to man up here. And it's a chance that this may happen. And so that, that just all, all that stuff just came to memory. And I'm just like, man, this is real. And this is a uh, real life. So that yeah, happens. Yeah, Talk same thing with Deshaun. Yeah. Deshaun's mom. So Deshaun, before his mom passed, she came into the office. 
and she was wearing a, a bandana and you could see her the, she had lost her facial hair and you know just a beautiful lady and a beautiful looking lady and you could tell that little bit of pride she didn't want to come out of the house you can tell there's like several people I, I mean it's interesting man and, and and the same thing with Demetrius Caleb Demetrius Caleb's dad DC who was on the second show his dad just passed in in February as well but he had been going through strokes as well and he didn't want anybody you know he's a former NBA player and he didn't let anybody see him because you know his state and I was one of the only places he came out to see me and look me in the eye same mm -hmm. thing with with Deshaun's mom she came and looked and she came and Deshaun said coach I'm leaving UTEP I'm gonna come there I'm gonna be closer to mom you know she's sick and I'm like okay so mom comes she takes a look at the campus and Deshaun, we talked in my office. She, um, Deshaun, they get up. It was like, all right, we're going to have a good year. We're going to get you enrolled, blah, blah, blah. And Deshaun kind of walks out the door first and she turns and she looks at me dead in the eye. And, you know, I can still see it. And I just told her, I said, your son will be fine. I'm going to take care of your son. And then she put her head down and she walked out. And I knew that was the last time I was going to, I probably would see her because she was in stage four cancer and it was. And, uh, so these are real situations and and uh, just the same with Demetrius' dad. They are they're there and it's almost like I just need somebody to help me this last little I'm I'm here. I'm supporting my kid all the way. And both of them like Deshaun's yeah. mom. It was just him and his mom. Like they they just like I, I have nothing left. I need somebody who I need somebody to, 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 to do this. Somebody take my son. I've had my son all the way up until now. And it's the same thing with D.C.'s dad. It's just like he came like. This, this is the last time I'm going to come out. This is this is it. And I saw him and we would even talk on the phone after that. And he just was he, he didn't come out as much. We didn't talk as much, but he came that time and he looked and he just felt like like, OK, please, because, you know, you're an NBA player and the type of person, the player he was, he had a lot to offer. It wasn't like he was, you know, the superstar where it's hard to relate to players, you know. Right. Jordan, Jordan probably could never be a coach, you know, because it's like he's just got this super crazy stand. But DC's dad won a national championship at Michigan, and then he uh, uh, and he played with the Lakers, so he was kind of in that mode where he had to grind, and so he could teach DC some stuff, and that's what DC heard, and that's what got DC through. And then he kind of passed, and it's just like, man, you get that, you get that. So it's real, it's real, and I think God had brought you know, the majority of the guys here for, for that reason and that purpose. And his mom said the same was like, you know, we know what God is doing and the DC for whatever reason, it didn't work out uh, to go back division one, but he goes down to Morehouse. And then I see these videos of him with like a brotherhood. It's like, this is what he needed. He needed more. He needed more. Uh, they doing, the, you know, a lot of that brotherhood stuff down there. And uh, so it's, it's just amazing to see what, what God does, but Coach, that, um... that's where we're at. Yeah, talk to us a little bit about about both of your parents. You know, your auntie it showed you go mm -hmm. into your auntie's house, and, and they showed a little bit. But my my father in law passed before I even met met him. Right, my my my, my wife's father passed of brain cancer a year before we met, um, and she's still you know twenty three years later is still haunted by seeing him sick. Talk mm -hmm. to us a little bit about losing your parents and, and the impact that had on you as a man, your basketball trajectory, your faith, your mission. Yeah. You know, I was still a little loose until my dad passed. I was 98. And my mom, 10 years after that, 2008. So my dad, 
it was like we say it was abrupt and I was still going through the phase of uh I had just kind of came back from like Australia or Brazil when I came back from Australia and I was still kind of playing around like what am I gonna do I was you know kind of you know, hey, let me go substitute teach here or whatever. I still had a class to finish. When my dad passed, all of a sudden, this switch just flipped. And it, so it kind of helped me in a sense. Sometimes mm. you spiral, but it kind of helped me. And it, it kind of flipped like, oh, my gosh, this is real. Uh, all of a sudden, I clicked in. I went in and uh, volunteered with my head coach, uh, with my former team, and uh, finished that one class that I needed to get my degree. You know, I went through graduation and everything like a year or two prior, but I didn't finish that. I had one class and I finished my degree and then I started working on a master's degree and I started coaching and all those things just got me on track. Uh, so it was really interesting that that point. Uh, but to, to your point, when my mom passed, it was tough because my dad was taking care of my mom. She had brain surgery before my dad passed. He was taking care of her. And it's usually the caretaker that usually struggles. So my mom really, the caretaker that usually passed while the one who was being taken care of, you know, they, they gained their strength. So she gains her strength back. And then eventually she, uh, you know, because of the brain cancer and stuff throughout the years, having strokes and uh, eventually uh, dementia and different things like that kind of affected her. And so I watched her slowly. That was slowly in my family, me being, uh, probably the leader of that, myself and my aunt, which you saw, my aunt literally lived two minutes away from us, you know, and so she was always around. Uh, but my aunt, we had to make the decision, myself and my aunt and my sisters, that we had to, you know, pull the plug on my mom. So because she had slowly uh, the, the dementia and the strokes and she just wasn't going to recover. Uh, so we had to make those decisions. And so that in itself uh, I mean, really financially and all that, I just kind of kind of dialed in and locked in. And for some of us, we may spiral one way or the other. Uh, but I realized there's no one out there. I have nobody. And I had to lean and depend and all my strength. Uh, the foundation, that's why it's important. Our our family and our parents, the foundation they give us, they gave us, they gave me the foundation that that's where I can go. And I got it for myself, you know, and sometimes our, our parents they'll hold us all the way through. And, uh, but fortunately I was able to get it for myself. And so that's where my foundation, my strength. And I tell my son today, I said, man, you by yourself now. I said, don't rely on me. I said, I'm here, but don't depend on me. Don't depend on a pastor. Don't depend on anybody. You have to have your faith for yourself. You have to have, uh, a, a process, a plan for yourself, you know, right. because it can be gone pretty quick. My dad was gone. My mom, now I had to handle the house. I had to handle all of this and, and, you know, not to throw them under the bus, but my sisters weren't in a space to handle it at the time. They were kind of still just kind of, we were just all young. And I think I was the only one that was, I had my degrees done when my, my mom died and I had a career. I had already had a home purchased and I was already on track. And so I was able to handle that at that moment. But uh, it's, uh, there's a lot that we have to go through with young people that us, it's our responsibility to prepare them for. I try to do it some here too. I'm, I, yeah. I'm making it hard. I like I'm I'm I got a young man here that I'm about to share with him how hard it's gonna be. Right. I'm gonna make it super hard. <laughs> I still love you, but I'm gonna make it super hard so that you prepare for any circumstance beyond. Because in in na human nature, it's hard for the parents to let you fall. They're they're, right. they're really not gonna even if they say I'm gonna let them fall, you're gonna throw a little soften you know, it. You're gonna soften it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so that's gonna always be there. But at some point. 
Our parents won't be there to soften the cushion. Our parents won't be there for a little bit of that advice. So I'm going to make it hard so that we can see you perform without calling mommy and daddy. I'm going to see you perform while they're not around and you're going to be challenged. I'm not going to degrade you. I'm not going to abuse you, but you're going to be challenged to where hopefully you can go to the next space and then you can, you can win yourself off of, you know what? I think I got it. I've learned some things, you know, I right. can't be, I can't be what the parents can offer and what they've done, but I can kind of simulate being the human side of, you know, not being a parent and being somebody that you're going to see in the future. I'm going to do it out of love, but, you know, you're going to see this face. This person is what you're going to see at the next level. Um, I'm not going to let you fail. I'm not going to. But at the same time, I'm not going to give up on you. But at the same time, this is what you're going to see. But at the next level, if you don't perform, it's over. They, yeah. It's over. Man, I'm yeah, going to get him ready for that. Yeah, with Des, and D, yeah, I know you've got plenty of questions, CD. One last one, and I'll let you jump in, I promise. For a young man that does have a child like Des, were you almost harder on him because you're trying to prepare him as a father figure and, and as a man as much as you are a leader for your for your squad in practice and in game situations? Yeah, I mean, he that's what it was about. I really didn't care. Like, like Des is going to go and play college, and it's going to be over. Like, he may play some pro ball, but it won't be anything that can have an impact on his family for, you know, it's not going to go to the NBA where he's he's got generational wealth. So – I'm like, bro, you need to be prepared to look your son in the eye and provide a need. Make sure when your son looks at you, he knows that you're responsible enough. You know, we're not perfect as fathers, but we're responsible enough that he can look to you as an example to what you need to do or go to you. Hey, dad, what do I need to do? Uh, and Dez didn't don't want no part of that. Dez is the he wanted he's so fun loving. He's a great kid. He wanted to still be Dez and just clowning and joking. I'm like. I'm sorry. It's over for that. Like, not around me. You can still be you, but not here. I'm going to show you how you got to lock in and be a leader and do all of that. And uh, Dez is playing with us in the summer here. He may be here next week playing with us a little bit. And he's you could just see he has a different uh, disposition of, of leadership. And he's looking at the guys playing in there, and he's shaking his head like, man, these dudes don't get it. And I'm like, yeah, same – like, that's like you two years ago, Dad. Yeah, exactly. He's like, no, I wasn't like that. I'm like, yeah, you were. Uh, but I think they started to realize, and, and that's really what I want them to get. I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm just like, bro, you have no idea the bills you're going to have to pay. And when your son looks at you and you have, you have something – uh, that something that they need and if you can't offer it because you're not mature enough then that's when that's that's when you start to lose these young men and that's when we that's when we start to kind of lose you know that young man that we want them to grow to be is mm. when they look to who they should be looking to and it's not you know what it should be and and it's that scares me to death I want to make sure my son always looks at me and and sees what it should look like you know has that anchor. I, I mean, coach, as you describe that, I, I, I go to something that if you've ever listened to Simon Sinek talk, he talks about one of the greatest gifts you can give somebody. If you're a friend, a family member, a coach, a mentor, anything, uh, is, is the willingness and the ability to sit in the mud with them and, you talked about being stuck in the mud and and having your parents have to pull you out of it, but to have somebody that is uh, going to 
take a handoff from a parent who's like, I brought them this far and I'm, I, 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 this is, this is all I could do. And in some cases having months to live when they're looking you in the eye and say, you know, I, I need you to take it from here. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's some great coaches out there in the profession, but not all of them have the, the willingness to serve in the mud with those people in those moments to take that type of a handoff is a totally different deal. It's all I could think of um, is, is listen to Simon, Simon Sinek talk about being in the mud with somebody and, and how you do that really, you know, like you said, and, and it's an art and a skill and a science of it all together because it's like, it, that doesn't mean you're just going to coddle them and and make it easy for them. And, and yet at the same time, knowing in those moments, kid comes in and says, coach, I got my girlfriend preg- pregnant. Like you, you, you know, in those moments, it's a little di- bit of a different uh, approach at, at that spot to be able to sort of dial into that spot. Extremely unique. I, 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 I tip the cap uh, t- just so much admiration there. Um, I want to get us back to sort of the, the the challenges of some of the team dynamic that you have year in year out because as i understand you talking earlier i mean if i'm just in that kid's shoes and and kind of putting myself into there i'm i mean let's kind of in my eyes and you tell me if i'm wrong call it what it is but it's like they're this is a stepping stone for them and and the time with you is like okay i'm gonna uh, it didn't go great to this point or it didn't, it got off course or something went, you know, wrong to get me here. I'm going to use this to catapult me if I'm able to. And you get 15 guys, young men who are at that age and stage. And they're thinking about a lot about kind of them and they're walking in and you're thinking about, okay, how do we now take that and do that for them, get them to that place, but also create team success, which creates, which, which requires a ton of sacrifice. Um, it's gotta be such a challenge to kind of do that. Can you talk about that? Yeah. You know, I think that's probably the, the, the one thing that I could like focus on here because, you know, at the division one level and I'm like, I don't want to knock any of those guys, but when you're comfortable, when you're Tom Izzo, when you're uh, Mike Krzyzewski, you got job security. At the next level, you got to win, and that's the focus. Okay, he's not getting it done. Let me move on. I don't care what you're dealing with. I'm a millionaire, and I can't lose this contract. And so I think that's what, you know, so to give them the benefit of the doubt at the next level is tough for them to uh, to uh, say, let me get personal and find out what's really going on so he can make a bucket or two. Then he can come out of uh, golding or he can come out of, you know, come out of the tank. They don't have time for you to be in the tank at the next level. Here, I just kind of look and I, you know, I count it as a privilege to have the opportunity where I can say, you know what, man, let me see what's going on with this dude, um, because it's it's not all uh, uh, that important. But you're right. It is a challenge. I've been here long enough to where I know the dynamics of kind of what's going on in the head. And for me, it's a little it, it, I count it. It's kind of fun to say, OK, here's another one. Um, he thinks this, this and this. And I kind of can see it. And uh, like, I, I think the the gift, if anything else, I don't know if it's X's and O's. I don't know if I'm a great coach from that sense, but I think the gift is to be able to read the room. And there's a lot of coaches to say, can you read the room and, and get a feel for what's going on when you walk in the gym every day? And I think that's the, the biggest thing is just to get a feel 
for what's going on. What space is this young man in? What space is he in? Okay, he's pretty selfish today. I'm I, let me just chop him up today because he's selfish. Or you know what, man? Two days in a row, he's struggling. That's not him. Like, what's going on? Now I need to say, hey, bro, come here. What's what's up? You good? You know, that's uh, I think that's where we got to take it. If we want to really have an impact as a coach, you got to be able to rule. You can't be as a coach. I can't be so consumed with myself. I got to think about serving uh, the young man. I can't think about just always. Yes, you want to win. But I got we got to win because of them. And it won't happen unless I know where everybody's head is at. And I think taking the time to do that, I think that's. That's important. And you can see a lot. I share, you can see a lot with how they play. And so I'll observe a lot. And through the observation, I'll respond accordingly. So like I said, I really don't know, man, that part is, I'll say it's a gift. If, if anything else, the coaching side, that's something that we all get from, I can't take credit for coaching and all these drills and X's and O's, man. That comes from from what I've, what I've learned and what I've observed but the gift would be in, I think, some of the, the best coaches being able to read the room and having a good feel for people. And that's leadership, too, just having a good feel for people. And so if I, if I pat myself on the back for anything, I think the gift that God has given me is that, just having a feel. So good. So good. Can you, can you identify or think too quickly in the moment of the question here as I get into it, a player that you would consider – one of the top examples of a kid that it it was pretty touch and go on the wheels coming off and some combination of you using that gift that you have and them meeting you because it requires that let's give the credit to the, to the kid when they deserve it it, to, to sort of galvanize and say, you know what, we, 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 uh, this is something that gives me goosebumps. Yeah. I, I, um, I remember we were in the weight room and Deshaun, Deshaun is funny, man. He's like, he's Deshaun is the reason why I think everybody liked him because him, him, that's all Deshaun. He's a punk. He's arrogant, but he's passionate. He wants to win and he don't care about nobody. He's like, you know, he's light skinned, but he's going to let you know I'm, I'm, I'm black too. And, you know, he's mixed, but I'm black and I'm, you know, I'm crazy. So I'll never forget, man, he, he's just like one of them dudes that I have to just, okay, let me figure out what's going on with him. Because, like, when he loses it, he loses it. And he could care less about anything. He don't care. Um, you know, Joe was a little bit like, when he loses it, it was just bad attitude. Deshaun, intelligently, when he intelligently comes up with, I don't care, then he's like, I don't care because that don't matter. Coach, why are we jump stopping here? I can make the shot without the jump stop. He'll just do a one leg jumper. I'm a better shooter off one leg, coach. I'm gonna shoot off one leg. He go. Right. He went. On, he went on Nowitzki, didn't he? You like that yeah, one, he like just one of those, yeah, he's one of those guys. So we're in the weight room, and then I'm looking around, and you need him because he's a presence of leadership, and he's not in there lifting. He walks out, and he's kind of in the gym, just sitting on the bench. He said, "Coach, I'm tired, man. I'm done. I don't want to play no more." And we sitting there and rightfully, I mean, I get it in that moment, just understanding because I'm trying to see like he is, he's just like tired is pointless. Like this is before, you know, anything, this is actually before the first cameras came and he was like, I'm tired. I'm done. I don't want to do this no more, man. Like, bro, I'm going to just go get a job. And he's smart. He's going to do well in business. Like he's going to do well. You know, he's like, man, I'm going to just go do business or something, man. I'm done. I ain't got, I don't go to school. I don't, and he's going off and I'm looking and, and I think the reason why he came to that space 
is because he was in there and he's looking at all these guys. He's like, man, y'all suck. Like, you know, in his mind, he's like, man, y'all suck as people. All you guys are immature. Like, you guys ain't on my level. And, and I felt that. I felt like he's just like, none of this is on my level, right? And I get it. Like, dude, you're kind of in a space where, like, these dudes ain't on this level. Y'all y'all don't get it. Y'all don't y'all ain't been through what I've been through. Y'all dumb. Y'all don't want to come play and hoop, right? Y'all don't want to compete. He's like, man, I'm done with this. There's no reason for me to do this. No Division ones are recruiting me right now. Like, I'm done, coach. I'm not going D2. Like, whatever. And so I got it, and I think I shared with him. I said, man, let me tell you something. And I, I think I said I, I th- we shared the moment, and I think once he saw that, he shared that on a on a podcast, and I had no idea that that impacted him in that way to continue to go on. And I said, Deshaun, here's here's what uh, here's what I know, bro. I said we we crazy, bro. I said you crazy. I said, but you got to know how to control crazy. And I said, I get it. You know how to control crazy. And some people, I said, you special in that sense. Your mind is special. You crazy. I said, you know how? Because I'm crazy too and special too. I said, we the same. I said, we the exact same, bro. I said, I know, but I have to control it sometime and I have to dummy down for some some people. And and we we shared that moment and, and I can't remember exactly, but he shared that. And he said, Something to the degree he said, uh, Coach Mosley gives these move these one liner movie, these movie one liners, and he said what I said at that moment, and I was like, wow, I didn't know that had an impact on it on him. But he said, yeah, I'm I'm just I'm crazy, uh, and we were talking about how crazy we are. I said, yeah, I'm crazy too, but you got to learn how to conform in life, and sometimes you got to deal with it for that moment so that you can get out of that moment. And we were sharing that, and he shared that, and I was like, wow. It gave me goosebumps that he shared that on the podcast that I kind of saw. And I was like, wow, he remembered that. I didn't even remember it, but he shared how he went out and I was just trying to get him not to quit, but I knew why he wanted to quit. And I was, instead of saying, Oh man, you a punk. You, you know, I knew why he wanted to quit. I read his energy. I he just felt like, man, this is beneath me. I could do, I could be a millionaire. And I felt like, no, Deshaun can go and make money. Like he's doing the best out of everybody on social media and, He's benefiting off of it. He's making tons of money off of all of the, you know, all that. He knows how to do it. He's doing stocks and, you know, he's got rental property now. Like Deshaun knows what he's doing. Let's go. And so I knew he was going to be that way. And so he's like, man, this is, these dudes are dumb. Like coach, what am I doing? I'm like, bro, I need it. Just, just lock in, finish, man. And then I, I did put the guilt trip on him. I said, your mom wants you to finish that college degree. And that, that kind of really messed him up too. So. Right. That's crazy. Right to it. I think it was on the Against the Grain podcast, which if people haven't listened, that's a great show too. And your interview on there was incredible. And TD and I watched and listened to the whole thing together. And um, I think you said something like you told Deshaun and and maybe all of them, like too bad now, once you make the cut, once you're you're not the 20, you're the 15, right? Yeah. You're mine forever now. So buckle up. Yeah. Well, I I share with him. I I share with him. Once you once you're in, and once I we decide this is the group, then, then you, yeah, I told Deshaun, and I, I I told Deshaun that when um, I think he was crying after it was one of the episodes that they didn't put in, and he was crying after we won a tournament game, and it was down in San Diego. Everybody's family was there except for him. He didn't have any family. His girlfriend was out of town, and he was crying. We were ready to go in the vans, and he's behind there, and I'm like, oh man, what happened? Did somebody else die? What's going on? And then I went back there and he's just like, coach, I just want to talk to her. And he was talking about his mom. 
And then he said, I just want to ask her some questions. And I hugged him. And we were sharing that, to be honest, that dude was sick. And he was so sick. And we was like, he had COVID at the time. We all, like, had COVID. It was, like, December 2019. I was like, man, we all had COVID. We were sick. We went down to San Diego and played. This is before it came. Right. He was sick. His mom wasn't there. His girlfriend. And nobody was there. And I said, bro, you can you can talk to me. I said, I said, you mine forever. I said, don't worry. Any questions you need, uh, mine forever. And it's the same. The relationship is the same now as it is back then. We can text and do all that. And yeah, once you're in, uh, once we decide that we, we finna alter this thing in your life and your life is going to go, then you're mine. And then we're, we're going to do this together all the way to the end. And I've helped him play professional ball. And, you know, he was with a former coach of mine over in Colombia. And so we're going to still you know, help these guys all the way through. You That's know, incredible. I tell them, I say, you can't consume all my time because I got a new group now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, fam the family just keeps expanding, right? Yeah. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit. You told TD earlier um, when he talked about you first coming to ELAC and you thinking, yeah. okay, this is a stepping stone, bro. I'm going to, I'm going to come in here. I'm going to make a bigger impact than this, this administration sure thinks. And then I'm going to get the heck on, right? To D1, whatever the future holds. And, you know, all these years later, you're still there. But both you and then Coach Rob, you know, in season two, it shares a little bit about how Coach Rob didn't have a job during COVID. So he yeah. was selling masks at a, at a roadside stall. Talk to us. And, you know, and you, you said there's a great moment. And I showed my kids and they kind of laughed. And then I was like, no, this is what he means. So you, you called him out. You said... Coach Rob should have had crackhead problems. He should have been an alcoholic. Yeah. He he's doing it, and and then we find out why. Right? He doesn't have a job yeah. during COVID. It's not like someone was still paying his salary, like it was a D one coach. There's no salary. There's no job. You're yeah. working spin class. You're a physiology professor now. You're missing your kids' games. But you said Coach Rob here is the reason we were thirty nine and one or thirty eight and one. And then you yeah. said, Coach Ken, he's here in this freaking wheelchair. He's stuck in this thing and he's rolling up in this weight room before you fools. Like, what yeah. the heck are you doing? Like, this is a man. Like, this is yeah. a man. So talk to us a little bit about this is a man. This is a leader about Coach Ken and Coach Rob and yourself. And even just the financial sacrifices you've all had to make to have this impact and live out your mission with these young men. Yeah, I mean, it. It was important to me, even now, I just have a, a, a sense that I don't want anyone that doesn't get it around, you know, don't show up because you want to wear a Nike polo that says East L.A. College. And I just kind of discourage anybody who wants to show up. I've had thousands of people email coach. I want to be a part of your staff. And I'm like, ah, you don't want to be a part of this. You're not going to make no money. You're going to be picking up players. You know, you you're going to be broke and you still won't have to feed a player a burger. Like, bro, you don't want any part of this. And so what's interesting is Coach Rob, he lost his job and had been coaching at a private school, making really good money. He was an athletic director, administrator for 20 years. You think about it. You're not going anywhere. You're going to retire there. And, you know, they, the private school gets new uh, administration. They decide to go a different direction. And so he's just out of here. It's like he got crackhead problems, but he's handling it like a man. And even more than that, I, you know, I shared it's It's even deeper than that. You know, he's got he had some stuff going on, nothing of his problem, but but it was a high level issue intense that he had to go through. I, I would never share what he had to go through. It was nothing he did wrong, but it was an attack on his family. And uh, and it was really bad. And he was really stressed. 
but you would have never known it. And I'm sharing with these guys, man, you don't know. This is how men handle things. This is what you guys need to see. Coach Hunter, you forget what he is going through, you know? And I think there was, I was going through some training and, and, you know, the world is so crazy. And I was going through this training and they say, don't use, I forgot what they call it. It was some term don't use, you know, his situation as handicap as a way to, Whatever they said, I forgot what it is. I said, no, I'm going to use it. And, and Coach Ken is fine with it. Like, man, that's somebody who we should be looking at as an example, someone who could come every day and show up to work, no, mar no matter what's going on uh, in his life and, and the determination to get there every day and to figure out how to organize to get that there every day. And you guys talk about, well, Coach, I ain't had no gas money. I'm late. It's like, man, get up out of here, man. You know, like. Like, bro, y'all don't even know. These are men. Well, they men. Like, yeah. But in order to be where they're at right now, they had to fight through that. And the, 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 your life is highs and lows. And so our lives are going to go like go down. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. And we got to continue to be able to handle that. And I really have a sense where I don't want to surround our young men with anybody who doesn't get it. Um, you know, and, and, and there's some young men that I'll let come in and I'll kind of show them a little bit but I won't let them be as hands-on because I'm like, unless you really get it, man, you, I'm not letting you tell these kids how to do a jump stop. They, I, I want men that they're going to respect um, and see men. And, um, you know, and, 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 you know, I, I, because the salary or the stipend really only a young man that's in their twenties can probably do it. These adults oh, can't do it. Oh man. TD. So been, yeah. TD talk to coach Mosley a little bit about, and you know, coach, like you're the Bakersfield jam TD. You were driving the bus. You were doing the laundry. You were probably cleaning the toilet. To take us inside that. And as Co what, what, as Coach Mosley's talking here, what's that bubbling up in you from those days? Well, yeah. I mean, as I watched the show, I couldn't help but sort of you know the the number of hats that you have to wear and what sweeping it takes the floor, and, Coach. And, <laughs> you're sweeping the floor. You know, do, the floor. doing the laundry, but like you know what that I mean. That's just that's just the deal. And and you know where where you are, and I think that. Just a lot of people probably don't really, oh, playing college basketball, like, oh, you're a college basketball coach. And it's, it's, uh, like you said, it's the polo. We got the sweet gear. We got all this stuff. We're going to this place and this place and all that. It's like, yeah, that, you know, you, you have no idea what it, you go through to kind of get just that those players in the van and over to the place and, and that kind of stuff. And, and the people from the outside, like, you said from the show, you get it, you get inundated with people thinking like, I want to, I want a part of that. Like no, you saw they, some stuff wanna, on the show, wanna, but they want to be on Netflix coach. A lot of them. They, be be on Netflix. Yeah. They, don't want no part of, they don't want no part of I'm sweeping the floor because I didn't feel like anybody could do it, do it the way that I want it done. So I was right. like, you know, what? I'm going to just sweep the floor. Oh, I'll do the floor. Cause that looks, that looks noble of him. Like, no, I'm doing the floor because I want it done right. And right. If I do it right, I'm going to be really upset. But, but like Dr. King said, right, if a man's called to be a street sweeper, let him be such a good street sweeper that the angels cry out. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And those examples, Coach Rob and Coach, uh, that's what resonated as well, that they were in, like Coach Rob has, has uh, teenage and adult sons. Two of them were in college and he loses his job, but he – he throws himself into this where he was getting paid in because like, this is what I'm into. And it's like, okay, hopefully this, I can get a job from this, which he did. He got a job moved on because he gained the experience. But even the situation you're in, regardless if you're getting paid or not, you got to be in that moment and you got to understand that what's the most important thing at the moment. 
And there's got to be a commitment from everybody. And his wife was committed as well. So I think a lot of people will get too concerned. A lot of guys that want to go into coaching, they get concerned with, okay, what's the salary first? It's like, there's no salary. Just assume there's no salary. Forget it. Forget it. There's no salary. You're not, you, you might be the 1% that gets lucky your first job. You know, yeah, there's coaches making six figures and, you know, you go to Kentucky, the coach, the assistant coaches are making a half a million. And yeah. Oh man, like the strength coach, coach Mosley, like, you look at was it Iowa TD where the football strength coach was making over a million, like one point one right. or one point two a year as a strength coach? Like, man, that's a yeah. nice gig. But assume you have to assume you're not going to jump into that. Right. You got to want to do it. You, you can't be thinking it's the south because you may be the greatest coach in the world and you're stuck at making under a hundred grand at some school, but you got to love coaching. Or you could be the worst coach and. You just get lucky and know somebody and you're making a hundred grand a year. You get fired from there. You hop to this university. You get fired from there. Now I'm in the ACC. You get fired from there. Now I'm in a Pac-12 because you you got this resume versus what you've actually done. But then you got great coaches at some levels and they're making they're making pennies. You got to love what you're doing. Right. And, and also that part that is what anybody looking in thinks is is coaching is like oh you know i'm i'm going to do this x's and o stuff i'm going to put in this defense that that you, and and i'm going to bring so much to the table now it'll be so fun like look at those practices on netflix they rah rah they're yelling at guys this is awesome like that's what they think coaching is and that's just a little fingernail of what your day is because you're teaching physiology you're 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 doing the the leadership courses that you're doing you're doing all this other stuff like sweeping the floor everything and that and and that's really what the real day looks yeah. like. That's give really us, what this give gig it, is. Take us, Coach Mosey. Take us inside that. What what is an average? Well, I say average. Uh, the the basketball the basketball is right here, and it is so easy. Like yeah. I got that's a machine. <laughs> the basketball part is the machine. The challenge is what I'm telling you. I got to get this basket fixed. You right know, by Monday. Like I'm I'm like, dude, the basket's fixed, and how am I figuring out how to? Uh, I got to make sure we got to figure out our schedule because the other gym is something going on being worked in there. Now we got three teams in the gym and getting along with that and making that work, getting everybody drive, in Drive town. the van, drive the van, go teach three classes, come back. Drive the van and teach three classes. I mean, I had, they made fun of me in the first show. I don't think they put that in, but they made fun of me. I had an accident because I taught a spin class at eight in the morning. It was a rainy day. It was the day before Thanksgiving. I had to give all my finals because everybody's watching me. Coach Coach, Coach is going to try to skip out of his finals, the midterms, the day, not the finals, but the midterms the day before Thanksgiving. So everybody's watching me. Watch Coach Mosley skip out because he's got a game. I was like, nope, I'm going to show all you guys. I'm going to do my spin class. I'm going to give my midterms the day before Thanksgiving, and then I'm going to drive, pouring down, storming, raining, to play a game across town, sit in 45 minutes traffic to go to Santa Monica and play. By the time I get there, which you know those big vans, man, the spirit oh. vans now. So I'm thinking, I'm still in my mind. I'm in the 12 passenger. I go in the spirit van. I'm literally like in a coma, driving, and literally I I go into a parking structure, and I forget that it's higher, and I literally go <laughs> and I run it in my car, and the van gets stuck up top, and all the and, and all the players are asleep, and they woke up, and they don't want to laugh because they they want to laugh, but they don't. Because right, like, oh, right. you know, because finally Coach Mosley did something wrong, right? Right, right, right. And I'm stuck in, I'm stuck like uh, the Martin show when he pressed on the gas, like eat my dust, and he don't go to where. So we laughing, <laughs> and they start laughing at me. And I pull out. Coach Rob pulls up next to me, 
when I pull out of the thing and he rolls down to what he said, man, I'm sure glad that wasn't me. But I mean, that's, <laughs> what, that's what we go through. Uh, that's what we go through. You don't want Typical. any part of that. You don't, yeah. want any, you don't want any part of that. Right now, literally, like I'm literally, we got school starting on Monday. Right. I'm not concerned about guys' classes. I'm not concerned about how our team is going to look. I'm not concerned about it. You know what I'm concerned about is we got like four guys that are supposed to be moving into an apartment and the parents still haven't gotten word. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, I got two from out of town. Like, that's what I'm concerned about. Stuff that you wouldn't think is is on your plate. And two key players. You know, you got two out of the four that are supposed to stay over there, like, and they don't have word that they're they can when they can move in and school starts on Monday. You know they're going to be on your floor or on coach's they, floor, yeah, right? You know, and I'm just like, like, dude, the basketball. Everybody, well, are we going to have a coaches meeting? I'm like, man, I ain't got time for no coaches meeting, man. I got to talk about all the cute plays we're going to run. I'm like, man, right. well, I ain't worried about. <laughs> right. I'm worried about these dudes having a place to lay their head. Right, you guys want to come to me? So, and those coaches that I have with me, they're in the trenches with me on that. Yes. They're like, okay, coach, I got. We talked to so and so, and da 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 da. We going back and forth, and we're going through that. You know, they're not yeah, coach. I get coach. some yeah. coach from the outside to say I want to work for you. They're gonna come in and show me the playbook. Like, I don't have time for your playbook, man. <laughs> go find these kids a place to live. You and know, fi- go find fi- them and fix yeah. my basket. Fix and that fix rim. my basket. <laughs> you can show me all the out of bounds plays you got. You know. Yeah, coach, coach, you talk about um. A wreck. Now there was a more serious wreck that you had with your family, man, and that could have not ended up so well as just bumping into the top of this parking garage. So, talk to us a little bit about that and why you think you may not only made it through that alive with your kids in the car, by the way, but what how that ties into your mission there at Elac and in life. Yeah, my my uh, son and daughter they both basketball players. My youngest is softball. So we come in literally from here from the gym at like 12 at night. You know, that's the best time for I get my kids in. We come to a we're driving home, man, and the car just literally, literally, normally my kids are on the phone in the car, you know, for some reason. This is worship song comes on, and we all three of us are singing it. And I just felt like it was an attack. It just felt like a, an attack. A car just rammed into the side of us. We went up the embankment and we rolled down like six times onto the freeway. They were racing and uh, just ran into us, and we literally we got out without any harm, any scratch. But that that car, that truck was like it was beyond total, and it looks like there should have been casualties, and we walked away and walked out of it. But I literally was rolling, I was cracking, I was rolling like, oh shoot, I got to go to practice tomorrow. I'm rolling in the car like, oh man, where's that car at that hit me? Like I literally didn't have any concern because I kind of felt protected. But I know coming out of that, that there's still a purpose for me and for us as a family. Uh, but I felt at peace throughout the whole situation. Uh, it was good. We didn't have any impact, but we rolled over because they pushed us mm. up the embankment. So, you know, having the, we had side airbags. We had all of that. Uh, and and we were able to get a lesson out of that with my kids and say, see how God has protected us and the worship we were worshiping and, and you continue to worship. There will be an attack on those trying to be good and trying to do the right thing, especially where we're going in our society. So uh, that's just how I felt in that moment. You know, the, you can see it some other way. I just felt it was a spiritual attack as we were worshiping at that moment. And that there is more work for us to do. So uh, and I just went the next day. I just went right about my business and said, OK, grab my son's car. And then we went in 
you know, we went in and went in and work and nobody knew what happened for about a week or two afterwards, you know. Uh, but as I look back, I see that it, there was some lessons to be learned there for my kids and for just for all of us. Uh, it could be gone in a second as well. So, right. Uh, and, and then when the players found out, they were like, wow, you know, that he goes through some things too. But but how to handle that and how to come out of that, I had to handle it right for my, my kids, my family. I had to handle it right for the players to see I'm here the next day and I'm the same as I was regardless. I'm not saying, oh, I was in an accident. I need a week off. You know, it's just like, you know what? Some people do, but uh, I just gave the example that, hey, I'm a, you know, I'm not okay. My body's okay. Okay, let's move on. Right. Yeah, and coach, tell us what were the words you were singing at that moment? Um, we were singing, uh, Father, consume me. You can use me here on this altar. So we were singing that song, Father, consume. So it's really a call that, like, Lord, you can consume me. You can take over my life and you can use me however you want to use me. And it felt like it was like, shut up, you know. Right, right. It felt like, Something. Shut up. Something uh, pretty, pretty powerful on your side with that. Um, so, coach, I mean, you talk about the the throw the playbook out. We, we'll, we'll deal with that. We'll figure that out. But I'm worried about where these kids are going to sleep when they get here. I'm worried about, you know, is the van have gas in it? I'm worried about all this stuff. Like, do you ever get to, did you or have you ever hit a point in this 11-year run at ELAC um, that, you you're just saying, I, I I don't think I could keep going. I mean, I, I I give up. Like this is this this BS is not stuff that I signed up for. And you know, this is like I'm not even getting to the basketball stuff. And hands are up. I say that every year. I said it last week. I said it. I said it every five minutes. I'm like said it this morning. I, I was with my AD. My AD's the football coach as well. And me and him were like, dude, I can't do this no more. You what know, keeps you going? Exhausted. But, but, you know, is when I see the young men that look just like me, that look their, their eyes. And I'm not talking about necessarily physically, but I, I just feel that they need the same thing that I was looking for. And that's kind of what keeps me going. You know, like there's so much to deal with. There's so much drama. There's so many people not focused on our youth. But they're so consumed with themselves and what, what they think is important instead of thinking about serving. And it's becoming more and more like that, especially in the social media world where everybody celebrates themselves on social media. How many likes do I get? It's about them. You know, no knock to what LeBron James said, I'm him. But that's our focus is like, I'm him. You know, and it's like, I just remember Yahweh saying, I am. He said, I am. God said, I am. And sometimes we, everybody's focused on, I'm him. Let me make myself him. And I think that's what we're focused on. Uh, and so I get exhausted every single day, but I see the young people and I see every single time I'm like, well, let me help this last person. Everybody come and I can hear the cry. You can hear what they've gone through. And I'm like, man, let me help them through this. And they kind of feel like we can help them through it. And I think that's what kind of keeps us, keeps us going. And, and he, he called me to serve and he called us to suffer too. So if we look at scripture, it says we, we're not called to have a, a beautiful life and, uh, and I mean, it depends on how we look at it, you know. So to me, I see if suffering is, is, a, is to me is a beautiful life because that's what he called to do. And that's what Christ did as well. He came here and he suffered uh, to serve. You know, all he did was to come here and serve. And then he suffered in the midst of that. So so I, who's to say I'm not? What, who am I not to suffer and have to grind and do like everybody else? So 
uh, I look at it that way is uh, when I can get out of remove myself from me and feeling sorry for myself, say, well, you know what? I'm, I'm called to suffer and help others. Amazing. Coach, we got to get you on with your day. We've got one final question. Um, this is the Basketball Strong podcast. The, the question, you can answer it from your mind, your gut, your heart, all the above. What does it mean to you to be basketball strong? Um, you can say, you can put any title in front of that, you know. It could be basketball strong. It just so happens to be where you what, what catches your eye. Basketball strong. It can be faith strong. It can be family strong. I mean, that's, you know, in a sense, you know, we, we get strong. You know, it can be Boston strong. Let's, you know, how, yep. how everybody has the Boston strong. It can be live strong. But it's just being uh, grounded in in what you believe and, and staying locked in and staying focused. And, uh, and when we talk about basketball strong, that's just a figure. You can place anything in that in that area. And for me, it's just being faith strong so that others can see your example and serving and, and all that. So and I'll use basketball when I'm in the gym. I'll say be basketball strong, which let's stay locked in. Let's stay focused. When I go to churches, let's be faith strong. You know, let's fellowship together and let's be strong in our faith and let's, you know, uh, rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, so that's when you talk about baskets, basketball strong, whatever space that you're in, you put that title in front of it and just be strong in it and be locked in it. And I tell our guys every day, I text them winning is essential. We want to make sure we win at everything that we do in life uh, and win forever, man. That's kind of what it, it is. Just keep doing what you're doing and do it at a high level. Nike says, just do it, you know, uh, just, just, just keep grinding, keep doing what you do. Powerful. Phil, lock it in the vault, baby. You know, it's in there. Coach, absolutely incredible. I mean, this is just, uh, I, I'm just sort of reeling in terms of trying to soak it all in right now. Thank you so, so much for taking the time with us today. It just means a, a, an awful lot. And I, I assure you, nobody is living a more basketball strong, or like you said, put anything else in front of that strong life as, as you are. So thank you. I appreciate you, man. Anytime. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, and we hope you did, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen to podcasts on. And so you never miss a weekly episode, be sure to subscribe and follow. You can find previous episodes on our show website. That's www.basketballstrongpodcast.com. For more basketball performance resources and nagging injury solutions, follow me on Instagram, at TD Athletes Edge and follow Phil at Phil White Books. Until next week's episode, stay basketball strong. <laughs>